0: Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Grab your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter five. May I just again say how good and encouraging it is to see y'all here gathered together in such chaotic times. You know, I wasn't even sure if I was going to make it in time this morning for the 8 o'clock service. Early this morning our little dog, Lexi, got out. We're trying to find her. I was talking to the next door neighbor. He says, well, why don't you just post something on Facebook or, you know, put some lost dog signs around the neighborhood. And I said, why would I bother? She can't read. <laughs> okay, good. You are still awake. That's great. And no, our dog didn't actually get out. I was just just checking Make sure everybody still has a pulse. Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, such a wonderful epistle. Uh, Gobs and gobs of practical information, instruction in uh, applied Christian living and some great stuff here in chapter five. But we're gonna be looking specifically at verses 15 through 21. If you would read with me there, beginning in verse 15, the apostle Paul says to the church at Ephesus, Pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always to, for everything, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. I don't know about you, church, but I know at, at times in the past when I'm really seeking to understand what God has in store for my life, I kind of wring my hands and I scratch my head trying to figure out what God's will is for me. And I know we've probably all been in in those situations in life before, but you know, there's something here in this passage that just jumps off the page, that literally screams to me God's will. One thing that we clearly know is God's will for us in this passage, and you see it in verse 18. Be filled with by the Holy Spirit. Well, that raises an interesting question. What does it mean to be filled by the Spirit? Well, church, the filling of the Holy Spirit ought to be a very profound reality in the Christian's life because understanding it can change the way we live that Christian life. Now, uh, let's just be honest right up front. There is some confusion Regarding the the terminology that we use with regard to the Holy Spirit, the terminology of, of being filled with the Spirit. Well, the filling of the Spirit is not to be confused with the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus spoke of, and the Apostle Paul spoke of it as well. You know, his writings teach that we receive the Holy Spirit the moment that we receive Jesus Christ as Savior. We would call that the the indwelling of the Spirit, or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's something that happens when you, by faith, choose to trust Christ for forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter twelve, verse thirteen, that we, as Christians, we were all baptized into one body. Romans eight and nine he says that if a person doesn't possess the Holy Spirit, well, he doesn't belong to Christ. Specifically, he said, the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, teaches us that the Holy Spirit is really the, the seal of our salvation for all those who believe. Paul writes, having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. There might also be some confusion about the filling of the Spirit or the indwelling of the Spirit because of some of the things that you read about in the book of Acts. There were some Christians in the book of Acts who didn't receive the Holy Spirit until after salvation. Okay, does that mean that you and I, that, that we only get part of him at salvation? Well, that's a big question, and you can't tackle that question without understanding that as we learn to interpret the book of Acts today, we acknowledge that there's some things in this historical account in Acts that were, were in fact, intended to be normative practice for the church today and the here and now, while there were other things that were meant to be purely descriptive accounts detailing how the Holy Spirit chose to work through the apostles and how the Holy Spirit chose to work in the life of the early church back in the then and there. Now, what the scripture does clearly teach when you examine the whole counsel of God, what it does indicate is normative for believers today is that we receive all of the Holy Spirit the moment that we, by faith, Trust Christ. That's what we would call the indwelling of the Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But again, there's a little bit of a difference between this indwelling or baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit, which is what we'll be talking about today. Uh, Part of the confusion probably comes from labels that we've heard some of those labels may be determined by your denominational heritage, maybe even the generation that you you come from. But you know what? The terminology is really not what is important. What's important is that you get it. You see, being filled with the Spirit, it's not simply me having the, the fullness of the Spirit abiding in me, but it's the the transition from his abiding presence to his anointing presence in and upon my life. You see, it's not you getting all of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit getting all of you. Herschel Hobbes, a great Baptist theologian, he describes the difference between the indwelling of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit this way. He writes, through its wiring system, a building may be indwelled by electricity. It is filled with its power only as it is allowed to work through electrical appliances, light bulbs, motors, and the like. At the moment of regeneration, the Christian is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, but the individual is filled by the Spirit when he yields his life to the Spirit's direction and power. He goes on to say, if you wish to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you must yield your total self to Him that He might work in and through you. A well-known evangelist from the late 19th century, you've probably heard his name before, D.L. Moody. He was scheduled to have a revival campaign in England. And uh, apparently his reputation didn't sit well with some of the... uh, the English folk, there was an elderly pastor that protested. He said, why do we need this Mr. Moody? He's uneducated, inexperienced. Who does he think he is anyway? Does he think he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And a wiser pastor rose and responded, no. But the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. You see, church, and and this is the biggest thing I want you to get this morning. If you don't get anything else, get this. The biggest key to unlocking the filling of the Holy Spirit is submission. We must turn over control to the leadership of God's Holy Spirit. So I want us to focus on this passage in Ephesians 5 this morning to really better understand Uh, how the Spirit can change our lives. All right, three things. Three things we're going to notice today. Number one, uh, we're going to discuss the reasons for a Spirit-filled life. Why be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, one of those is fairly obvious. You see it in verse 18. It's obedience. God has commanded us, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, Your translation may say self-destruction, dissipation. Depends on what translation you have. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, don't relinquish control of your life to something else. You know, he uses the example of a chemical substance. You know, for you and I, we could liken it to giving control of our life to alcohol or to, to drugs or whatever. But instead, give control to the Holy Spirit. Now, there's an interesting verb here in the original Greek text that Paul uses. It's a funny-sounding word, pleruste. Say that three times fast. Some interesting things about pleruste. First of all, the fact that it's second-person plural. He's talking to multiple people. And we know now, in retrospect, that he really intended, God intended that message for more than just the church at Ephesus. But he's speaking in the plural. Now, if we were to translate this in good West Texas grammar, he would say something like, all y'all need to be filled with the Spirit. That's what he's saying. All y'all. All of us. Now, something else about this funny-sounding word, play roost They, it's also a present passive imperative. Okay, what does all that grammatical gobbledygook mean? Well, it means this. First of all, present tense. Present tense means a continual ongoing action right now, moment by moment, day by day. It's continuous. Present tense, it's in the passive voice. Now, passive voice means that you're the one being acted upon instead of you being the actor. You're the actor instead of you're the actee instead of the actor. Those aren't many real words, are they? The actee instead of the actor. I don't know, but it's the Holy Spirit's the one that's doing the work. It's in the passive voice, but it's also in the imperative mood. What does it mean when you hear that word imperative? It means it's a command. It's an imperative that we be filled with the Spirit. God commands it. It's not optional. It's a biblical mandate. So what he's saying is constantly, moment by moment, be controlled by and filled with the Holy Spirit I love what Adrian Rogers the late uh, Southern Baptist pastor wrote some years ago he says suppose I showed up this morning all bleary eyed hair disheveled a suspicious smell on my breath I stumbled over to the pulpit and in a thick tongued manner blurted morning church turn in your Bibles to <gasps> Ephesians 5 You'd say something like, well, he's drunk. Such sinful behavior. And you know what? You would be right. But you know what? It's just as great a sin for me to show up not being filled by the Spirit as it is for me to show up drunk. And the same goes for all of us. For all y'all. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit because God's commanded it. So the first reason we are to be filled with the Spirit is obedience. But similarly, there's a second one, and it's obligation. Now, when I say obligation, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. You are not obligated to try to pay Jesus back for what he did for you on the cross because that's impossible. What we do in service to him is a byproduct of the love that we have for him. That having been said, though, there are certain responsibilities that we need to acknowledge as Christians, obligations when it comes to being filled with the Spirit. For example, there is an obligation in my worship life. Verse 19 there, he says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, and making music with your heart to the Lord. Church, if we want our worship not to be boring and routine, ritualistic, but instead alive with joy and the invigorating reality of Christ at work in our lives, then we must be spirit-filled. You'll recall Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman in the, at the well in John chapter 4. And what he told her in verse 24, that God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. If our worship is going to be all that desires, we must be spirit filled. So there's an obligation in our worship life. But husbands and wives, there's also an obligation in our wedded life. Now, there's a few verses following this passage we're looking at today where uh, Paul actually describes the type of marriage that should exist between a Christian husband and a wife and how the husband's love, sacrificial love for his wife should mirror Christ's love for the church and how the wife following her husband's spiritual leadership should submit to that leadership. And we get all hung up on that. You know, because we, on a surface reading, we think that means blind obedience. My way or the highway, baby. You better get with the program. No, when he says submit there in verse 22, what he means is a voluntary attitude of cooperation. Well, the same sort of submission that exists and occurs between a husband and wife in a Christian marriage also. Occurs within the body of Christ. We'll talk about that more in just a a couple of minutes. But it was modeled for us by Jesus. But you see, the love and submission that are meant to exist, those cannot be displayed apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, without being spirit-filled, I cannot love and lead my wife the way God intends me to. I can't do anything without the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus reminds us just how helpless we are without him. John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing, he says. So there's an obligation in our worship life. There's an obligation in our wedded life. There's also an obligation in our work life. Think about this. When... An employer goes to an employment agency looking for new people to hire for his or her business. Ideally, he ought to be asking for Christians because by all rights, we should be the ones who are working the hardest and have the best attitudes. You know, reflecting what Paul talked about in Colossians 3:23, that whatever you do, do it heartily. Do it with all your heart. As unto the Lord and not to men. But if our work ethic is going to be all that God desires, it's got to be one that's spirit filled. There's another obligation I want you to consider an obligation in my warfare life. What kind of warfare? Paul talks about it in the very next chapter, Ephesians chapter 6. He says in verse 12 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Church, the Christian is in a war that cannot be fought in the flesh. I mean, understand, our our war is not against the IRS. It's not against Antifa. Our war is not against the Democrats or the Republicans or the Libertarians. It's not with our neighbor. It's not with an unscrupulous boss. Our fight is a fight to the finish with a sinister foe named Satan. And there are no holds barred. How can we possibly hope to withstand satanic opposition apart from the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. So we are to be filled with the Spirit first of all because of obedience. Also because of obligations in our work life, our wedded life, our worship life, our warfare life. But then we're to be filled with the Spirit because of a third thing, opportunities. Look at verse 16. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. The verb there means to gain advantage, to to gain every opportunity, to literally make the most of. That verse is God's reminder that we are to manage our time and our opportunities wisely. That we are to take advantage of every single opportunity to advance his kingdom while there's still time left. Evil times call for spirit-filled people. And think about it. What golden opportunities we let slip through our fingers because the Holy Spirit's not in control. I think part of the problem is that some Christians, you know, they should want to be uh, filled with the Spirit to have power in serving, but instead they want to be filled with the Spirit to have pleasure in living. Or to put it this way, they see the spirit-filled life as a source for enjoyment rather than a force for employment. When in fact, Jesus has already told us in Acts 1.8 why we have the Holy Spirit. It tells us that we're given the power of God to share the gospel. You will be my witnesses, he says, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So there's some reasons we need to be spirit-filled. Spirit-filled. Obviously obedience, there's obligation and the opportunities that we're to make the most of. But let's move on to the second thought I want to kind of dwell on here for a few minutes. And that's the requirements for a spirit-filled life. The requirements. Uh, We established that this verb, this funny-sounding word, pleruste, is in the passive voice. And that it means that we don't actually do the action of the filling. We're being acted upon. But it does raise an interesting question. If I'm not doing the filling myself, then how do I actually go about being filled with the Spirit? Let's talk about a few requirements. And I'll just focus on a few. I mean, there, there may be more But uh, the first and the most obvious, which we've really already touched on, is this. We surrender our lives to Christ. Surrender your life to Christ. We must abandon our will, our intellect, our emotion, as well as our time and our our talents and our treasure to the control of the Holy Spirit. And of course, that involves a, a willing, proactive, Submission, You know, not waiting until he chastens us to say, all right, God, you win. I'll give you control of my life. We offer our whole being to him willingly. I think that's why Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse one, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship and so that means that you and I as the temples of God's Holy Spirit we are to make him completely at home let me ask you this are there any rooms in your temple where you've, you've posted do not enter signs I mean is there any area of your life that you have made out of bounds to God's Holy Spirit it's off limits Something in your personal life, your financial life, your your sexual life, ambitions, anything at all. Because to be filled with the Spirit means there's a person who is completely occupying your temple as you surrender your life to Him. We want to be filled with the Spirit, got to surrender. Surrender your life to Christ. Now, here's the second thing study the Word. There's a passage in Colossians 3 that actually parallels the one here in Ephesians 5 that we're looking at this morning. In that passage, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, it says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I like the way that sounds. The adverb there in the Greek, it means in abundance, to the extreme. Or as we would have said when I was a much, much younger man, back in the stone knives and bearskins age, we would have said to the max. Let the word of Christ dwell in you to the max, man. To the fullest, to the utmost, to the extreme. Folks, we as Christ followers should be so full of the word of God that when the world squeezes us, we should ooze out the words of scripture. Do you desire a spirit-filled life? Feed yourself a steady diet of the word of Christ. All right, here's the third thing. In addition to surrendering our lives to Christ, studying the word of Christ, we also stand in the presence of Christ. In other words, we're spending time with him whether that's through prayer, whether that's meditation on the word, reading the word of God, we set aside time to be with him. Now there's an interesting contrast here in verse 18 that Paul paints here. He contrasts the person who's filled with wine with one who's filled with the spirit. Now think about this for a sec. The person who's always full of wine he is going to want to keep very close to the source and supply of that wine. Well, likewise, if we're going to be filled with his spirit, that we need to keep close to the Lord Jesus. We need to stay close to the Lord. James, the half-brother of Jesus, James chapter four, verse eight says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Church, do you know what it is to stand in the presence Of Christ? Do you take time to be holy? Do you speak often with the Lord? We surrender our lives to Christ. We study the word of Christ. We stand in the presence of Christ. There's a fourth one. We make supplication to the heart of Christ. And you're thinking, okay, Eric, you're just throwing out one of those fancy $10 preacher words supplication. What does supplication mean? It means ask. We ask. We make supplication to him. We ask him. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, he says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We ask. We make supplication to the heart of Christ. So there's reasons for a spirit-filled life. Obedience. There's obligation, opportunities. We've discussed the requirements of a spirit-filled life. We surrender our lives to him. We study the word of Christ. We stand in the presence of Christ, make supplication to the heart of Christ. Let's take a few moments to talk about the results of a spirit-filled life. Let's look again at verses 18 through 21 here. And as we do... I want you to take note of all the I-N-G words in this passage. And don't get drunk with wine, he says in verse 18, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. And giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Let's break that down a little bit. Verse 19, speaking. What does Paul mean? I think he means that we are expressing God-given truth. Expressing God-given truth. Psalm 107.2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. As you read through the book of Acts, You discover in Acts chapter four that the believers there in Jerusalem, it says in Acts 4.31, that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Speaking, expressing God-given truth. That's an evidence of a spirit-filled life. But here's another. Another result is singing, expressing God-given joy. Joy. Look at verse 19, making music with your heart to the Lord. Church, when you're filled with the Spirit, there is going to be a result of adoration, of celebration or or thankfulness or joy. There is going to be evidence of the love relationship that you enjoy with Jesus Christ your expressions of worship those are just a natural byproduct of being filled with the spirit so they're speaking expressing god-given truth they're singing expressing god-given joy there's also sacrificing expressing god-given thanks you see that in verse 20 giving thanks always for everything we've already seen the sacrifice of praise in verse 19 but there's also a sacrifice of thanksgiving Paul writes a very similar thought in 1 Thessalonians chapter five, giving thanks in everything, he says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we're sacrificing, expressing God-given thanks. And there's a fourth result of being spirit-filled, and that is submitting, expressing God-given love. Verse 21 says, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, a spirit filled Christian is one who has learned to submit to others. And as we've already hinted at already, that submission is not something that's just for husbands and wives. The exact same submission that Paul discusses in verse 22 with regard to marriage, that's the exact same submission that he's saying in verse 21 that needs to exist within the body of Christ that we have for one another. If we're going to live in the body of Christ, we've got to learn to submit to other, other people. Now, understanding that I don't submit to you because of you, you don't submit to me because of me, I mean, that would be kind of dumb. I am Eric Chaffin, and you shall submit to my authority. No. We submit to one another because of Jesus. It's an expression of love. But if we're really going to be able to do that, we have to first submit to God's Holy Spirit. Speaking, singing, sacrificing, and submitting. But those will not come with that first surrendering. Years ago, I read one of Max Licato's books, a great book called The Applause of Heaven. And there was a wonderful story that he told about taking his young daughters. Of course, they're grown now. At the time, they were uh, three and five Jenna, five, Andrea, three. He'd taken them to SeaWorld for the day. And it was a hot summer day, and he was tired and sweaty. It's toward the end of a long day, and he comes across a shaded area in the center of a park. Now, underneath this shaded area was a plastic ball pit. Now, if you've ever taken the kids or grandkids to Chuck E. Cheese, you know what I'm talking about when I talk about the plastic ball pit. The balls are about that big around. They're hollow. They're made out of plastic. The kids jump in there and... I can't believe I even mentioned Chuck E. Cheese because it's just a crooked casino for kids. But if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. And so it's a plastic ball pit. The balls are about waist high. And in the center of this pit, there's a table. And there's holes in the top of the table. And there's jets of air that blast through those holes. So when the kids gather at the balls, they move to the center of the pit. They place the balls over the table the blast of air gets a hold of the ball and wee up go the balls. Supposedly very fun. Well, at least for the kids. Maybe not so much for the parent. So three-year-old Andrea, she steps into the pit and she immediately begins to fill her arms with these plastic balls. Now, problem here, it is hard enough to wade through a waist-high pit full of plastic balls when you've got your arms for balance. You can imagine how hard it is when you're clutching all of these plastic balls. And as you've begun to suspect, it was impossible for her to do so with her arms full. She took a step and she fell. But she tried to get up without releasing the balls. She starts to cry so Lucado, he walks over to the edge of the pit and very gently says, Andrea, let go of the balls and you can walk. No, she screams, submerged beneath these balls. Well, he reaches over the edge. He pulls her up, says, if you will let go of the balls, you'll be able to walk. No, and she takes two more steps. She falls again. Now, at this point, she's too far in for him to reach her. So he changes strategy. He tells the older daughter, Jenna, to go in after her. (laughs) But Jenna wasn't strong enough. And uh, Andrea was absolutely no help to her older sister because she's still helplessly clutching these balls, refusing to let them go. He tells Jenna, take the balls away from Andrea. And suddenly there's evidence of a struggle going on beneath the surface of this ball pit. It's a no-go. And it's funny that each time Lucado would repeat the command, let go and you can walk, he would say it just a little more forcefully, Andrea, let go of the balls and you can walk. And each time the reply came back, it was more defiant. No! No! At this point, he's thinking to himself, she's got what she wants. She's going to hold on to it, even if it kills her. Eventually, there was a park attendant who had mercy on on Max and gave him permission to go into the pit and intervene, and thus ends the story. But there's a point here. I think the point for you and I is that sometimes we, get stuck in the plastic ball pit of our stubborn desire for control. And we, we foolishly cling to the notion that we should be calling the shots. Even when God sends someone to assist us, to help lift us up out of the pit of our own poor choices, we might still resist them and say no, and continue to wade through life trying to do things our own way. And the problem with doing things our own way, well, there's some consequences because of our choices. Sometimes those consequences are things like anger and unhappiness, unhappiness despair, maybe just an inability to cope with life. But if only we would just let go. We could walk again. We could return to the center of God's will and we get uplifted by the Holy Spirit. So what about you? You Ever get that feeling that you're just stumbling through the Christian life in darkness? You're unable to see what the Lord really wants to do through you. Are there maybe some parts of your life that you've just been unwilling to let go of and relinquish to the Lord? I love what Ruth Harms Kalkin once wrote. She said, at first, Lord, I ask you to take sides with me. With David, the psalmist, I circled and underlined, the Lord is for me. Maintain my rights, O Lord. Let me stand against my foes. But with all my pleading, I lay drenched in darkness until in utter confusion, I cried, don't take sides, Lord, just take over. And suddenly, it was morning. Church, a spirit-filled life is one that is completely surrendered to the Lord's control. But if we'll completely surrender to the Lord's control, there will be undeniable spiritual fruit. So you gotta ask yourself, will I yield? Will I give control of my life to the Holy Spirit? Am I constantly, moment by moment, being led by and filled with His Spirit? At the beginning of this message, we talked about the desire to know God's will for our life. You wanna know what God's will is for your life? Well, you can start off by being filled with the Spirit because the more that you relinquish control of your life to the Holy Spirit, the more of His will is going to be revealed to you and the more that He will choose to do through you if you'll just turn over control. You see, the Holy Spirit is the engine of your salvation. He is what powers the Christian life. And that power can accomplish some amazing things. Paul wrote in Ephesians 3.20 that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine according to the power that is at work within us. You know what that power is? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you yield control of your life to the Holy Spirit? Will you be filled with the Holy Spirit? There may be some of you here this morning and you're not filled with the Spirit because you have never actually chosen to trust Christ. You've never come to that that moment of conscious decision where you've said yes. You've said, God, I, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner And today, I choose to turn away from my sin and to turn to you for forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. If that's you this morning, I'm gonna ask you a simple question. Will you choose Jesus? It's pretty simple. How do I choose Jesus? You choose to take the Romans road. See, Paul reminded us in Romans chapter three, verse 23, that we've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. But there's a price for that. He says in Romans six twenty three that the wages of our sin is death. That means eternal separation from God. He says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He writes in Romans 10, 9 and 10 that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. He puts it very simply in Romans ten thirteen: Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's as simple as A, B, C. Admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Christ died for your sin. C, call upon him. Ask him to save you. Let's pray together, church. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the gift of your word. And thank you for the instruction that we find here in this passage today that shows us just how meaningful The Christian life can be if we'll just yield control of our lives to your Holy Spirit. If we'll just surrender to your will and not our own. All the wonderful things that you will do through us to accomplish your purposes, to bring glory to your name. So I pray for Christians today who are going through a stubborn streak and just need to renew their surrender. But God, I also pray for lost people, for anyone in this building today who's never chosen to make that commitment to Christ to say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I ask you to forgive me and I ask you to come into my life and save me forever. I pray for those people that this very moment that your Holy Spirit would speak to their hearts to convict them of sin, to draw them to you to transform them that you might be glorified. God, we do thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you for what he did for us on the cross. Thank you that he lives today. Thank you for the purpose that we have because of Jesus. And it's in that precious name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.